Well, good morning, New Life. Are we doing well this morning? Good. I'm Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life. And whether this is your first time at New Life or you've been coming for many weeks, just wanted to welcome you and, and thank you for investing a, a portion of your weekend with us, with us here. Today, I have the opportunity to continue in our Passing the Baton series. Pastor Chris kicked us off last week, and our desire in walking through this Passing the Baton series is to help all of us prepare for the eventual passing of the leadership baton, the lead pastor passing of the lead pastor baton from Pastor Chris to Pastor Alex here in 2024. And Pastor Alex will be assuming that role in January. And so this is the second time that we have done this series. And last week, Pastor Chris kicked us off and helped us to understand that when it comes to our roles, we're supposed to run our races well, but eventually all of us are going to pass some batons, right? And as we do so, we then get to, to cheer on those to whom the baton has been passed. And if we are believers in Jesus, if we know him as Savior and Lord, the Bible declares that we're going to be cheering people on forever. Uh, until Jesus returns. And so there's an incredible promise in the midst of that. If you missed that message, I'd invite you to go to newlifexn.org and catch up on it. It was a really powerful message. Now, a lot of times when we focus on passing the baton, we focus on the person who's passing the baton and the person to whom the baton's being passed. And that makes sense, right? Because they're the primary players in, in this narrative. And as I mentioned, Pastor Chris in January will be passing the leadership baton to Pastor Alex, and he's going to joyfully receive it. But as I reflected on Pastor Chris's words last week, it occurred to me that even though we focus on those two individuals as we should, we all have a bit of a role to play in this as well. We have things that we ought to consider. In fact, it's going to be summed up in our take-home point for today, which is the one point I'm going to seek to make throughout this message, and it's this. When a leader passes a baton, we all have a role to play. We all have a role to play. All of us are part of this process, whether we perhaps even realize it or not. Now, I looked through the Bible in its entirety uh, for the list of the, the four most helpful things we can do to facilitate the passing of a baton, and there's nothing in there on that. Looked all through, no helpful lists, nothing like that. But the Bible does have a tremendous amount to say about our gifts, our talents, the roles to which God has called us, serving, all of these things. It also gives us examples of godly men and women who live their lives faithfully, who give us examples that we should follow, and sometimes it also gives us examples of things that we shouldn't do in the lives of those folks as well. And we're going to look at one such example today. But before we get to that, I would like for us to consider just for a moment how unique God has created each and every one of us and how that's a good thing. Because I think a lot of times if we're not careful we wish for or hope for different roles or different gifts, and that's not what the Bible says we ought to do. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple of verses out of 1 Corinthians 12 as we get started today. But before we look at that passage, let's pray. Lord God, I pray right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would rule and reign in this place. Open our hearts to receive your word. Lord God, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start in verse 12. It says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. 
So it is with the body of Christ. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So the Apostle Paul makes pretty clear in this passage that we all have unique giftings to fulfill unique roles within God's kingdom. Nobody is more or less important than anyone else. That's really important for us to understand because sometimes we go, gosh, I just wish I was like that person or, ooh, thank God I'm not like that person. You know, we don't get to do that. We get to thank God for the gifting that he has put upon our lives, all unique, which is incredible, right? And then he brings that together in the body of Christ, which is his church. And we get to collectively, as a group, reflect Jesus to this world to play our roles to which he's called us, unique all of them, so that what? Many come to know him and grow to be like him. It's an incredible promise. It's something that we get to live out each and every day. And some of us might be saying, well, how do I know what my giftings are? How do I know what my role is? And there's a lot of ways you can drill down on that. We've talked about many of them throughout the years here at New Life, but perhaps the best way here at New Life is to be part of the new members class because we have an entire session dedicated to helping us understand our gifts and helping us to plug into potential roles where we get to try that out. If you've yet to take that next step, I'd highly encourage you to do so. But back to sort of this passing the baton season, when Pastor Chris announced to me or told me several years ago, many years ago at this point, about his end date, I started to ask the Lord what my role would be in the midst of all of this because I didn't know. I didn't know what the Lord would have me do or what he would have for the church family. There were a lot of options. There were a lot of things that could be considered. I didn't know if the Lord would perhaps raise up Pastor Brad or if Pastor Mark would assume that role. I didn't know if it would be Alex, perhaps even myself. I didn't know. I didn't know what the Lord would do. And I have found that in my Christian walk, if I'm not careful, frankly, if we're all not careful, we do this thing, I call it building the bridge. And all I mean by that is, there is a problem or a challenge before us. And in prayer, we'll go, Lord, there's a problem or challenge before us. And, and sometimes we even get a glimmer of what might be next, and we automatically go, well, then logically, it has to be this. We do it all the time. We go, oh, well, Lord, you're going to work it out this way. And the challenge with that ultimately is, is that God is like the God of the fifth option, right? The one that we never consider. And when we begin to lay out for God what we think he's going to do, we, we handcuff him or we're totally caught off guard when he does it his own way anyways, right? And I didn't want to do that in this situation. And I, and I thought in prayer, Lord, how can I begin to pray over this situation without building the bridge? Because I don't know what you will do. So in my prayer journal, I drew a little image that should really show you my creative and artistic gifting. <laughs> like that? Drawn this many times. On the left, the line represents Pastor Chris and Pastor Nancy's time here at New Life that would eventually come to an end. So I would draw a little, little line on my page. And then to the right, the other line was who and what is next? Don't know. Lord, I don't know what's next. But you do. And then I drew a box because I like charts. And in that box, I wrote succession. 
And I just prayed, Lord, build the bridge. I don't know how this is going to work itself through. I do know that you have given Chris and Nancy a date. I know that there is something next. And I'm just going to stand here right in the middle and see how you would bridge this gap. I started praying that prayer in 2018. For those of you keeping score at home, that's over five years. And we're not done praying it yet. Most every day, lifting that up before the Lord, praying that he would build his team, that he would see his church through this, knowing that he would ultimately do that in the way that he saw fit, because I didn't know what he would do or will do, but I knew enough to drag up for him in prayer, amen? It was also during this season that the Lord really began to impress on me a biblical character named Joseph. I didn't know why at the time, but I really began to get the sense that I needed to really work through the story of Joseph. And so I started to do that. Now, if you are unfamiliar, Joseph's kind of a big deal in the Bible. We're told his story in the book of Genesis. It encompasses 13 or 14 chapters, Genesis 36 or 37 through Genesis 50, first book of the Bible. And when you get that much print in the Bible, that means you're kind of a big deal, right? Very few folks get that many pages. And Joseph is part of this really interesting lineage. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. And Isaac was the son of this guy named Abraham. And Abraham was like the big deal in the book of Genesis because God promised Abraham that through him, he would raise up through his descendants a nation who would eventually become the Israelites or the Jews. And so God promises this to Abraham, and we see the story begin as Abraham gives, as his wife gives birth to Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has ultimately 12 sons and some daughters, and Joseph is one of those sons. Not only is Joseph part of this really special and sort of important family, it seems that like Jacob really loved him as well. He loved him so much that they made a a musical about it (laughs) called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which they pulled straight from Scripture. You can look, Technicolor is not in there. But anyway, Jacob loved Joseph so much that he gave him this amazing coat, many colored, to kind of show favor and honor to his son, which, as you can imagine did not really help with his relationship with his other siblings, right? They didn't, they didn't much like that. Not only does Jacob love Joseph, but it seems that God favored Joseph as well because God gave Joseph an ability to both have and interpret prophetic dreams, which is really pretty cool, right? Yeah, like if there were a Jedi power, that might be one I'd want. And so God gave gave Joseph this incredible gift. We read about it in Genesis 37. It says this, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. That is not the response that you want, just in case you were wondering. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you'll think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. 
And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told his dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. Pretty incredible, right? God gifted Joseph with this incredible ability to have and begin to interpret prophetic dreams. But unfortunately, this is part of the story where Joseph does something that we should learn from and not replicate. Because he should have gone with humility, but he didn't. We know from the text that he kind of bragged about it a little bit. So much so that it caused his own siblings to hate him. Oftentimes, friends, when we are new in our faith and the Lord gives us his gifts, we can sometimes respond pretty arrogantly to that. And I am so thankful for the older, wiser men in my life who have kind of helped me correct that. They ultimately have pointed me back to a truth, and it's one that Joseph forgot, that God's the one who makes all this possible, right? Joseph forgot God. That's what he forgot in this instance. He forgot that God gave him the dream. He forgot that God gave him the ability to interpret the dream, and he forgot, and this is the biggest one, he forgot that God would ultimately be the one to fulfill the dream. He forgot all those things. Instead, out of his pride and arrogance, he built the bridge. He went, well, they're going to bow down to me, and his brothers proclaim what he thought. You think you're going to be our king, right? Maybe he had the Lion King playing in the background. I don't know. Just for you, that was an, a Disney reference and a Broadway show reference all in one message. So anyways, yeah, he couldn't wait. Do you think you'll be king of our clan? And the answer is, yes, I do think I'll be king of the clan. And again, this is where mentors can be so helpful. It says that Jacob, like, scolded him. What we needed Jacob to do is say, hey, buddy, uh-uh. That's not how we honor, but that's not what he did. And I'm so thankful for those older men in my life who have helped me to understand humility, who have taught me and instructed me. Pastor Chris has played a huge role in my life in that regard. He's done it for myself. He's done it for Alex. He's done it for so many of us. I'm so thankful for those folks who have guided me and who've helped me clean up the mistakes that I've made. Joseph needed that here, but unfortunately, he wasn't afforded it. And also, I'm thankful that because of those men, I've been able to pour into the lives of others. Friends, we talk often here at New Life about the need for mentors and accountability to be poured into so that we can pour into others. When we get to the story of Joseph, if the passing of the baton is something in which we all play a part, and it is, then who's pouring into our lives and to whom, whose lives are we pouring into? That's a huge lesson that we ought to take away even this early in the message and in the story. Remember, we all have a vital role to play. So, back to Joseph. In response to the coat and in response to the dreams, his 11 brothers do what logical, loving brothers do. They captured him, sold him into slavery, stripped him of his cloak, killed an animal, dipped the uh, cloak in the animal, and told his father that he had been killed by wild animals. Talk about an escalation. That ratcheted up quickly, right? So they ship him off 
sold as a slave. He ends up in Egypt and begins to serve in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar, really important guy, captain of Pharaoh's guard, right? And Joseph begins to serve him. And we're told Joseph served so well that Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. Unheard of in those days. But Joseph served so well that Potiphar puts him in this position of authority and power, which is awesome, except for one thing. And that's that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him in the worst way. And Joseph refused and resisted. And she lied to her husband and said, he did these things to me. And Potiphar believed her. And Potiphar threw Joseph into prison. Now, it's interesting. Potiphar had every right to kill Joseph. And many scholars believe that he didn't kill Joseph because Potiphar knew Potiphar's wife and went, yeah, maybe. But to save face, he throws him into prison. In prison, Joseph serves so well that the warden puts him in charge of almost the entire prison. See a theme here? Serves so well that he's put in charge of the entire prison. And as a result of that, he comes into contact with two of Pharaoh's servants, his chief cupbearer and his chief baker. Could you imagine the position that you have that you have a chief baker? You know? But they had done something, and, and Pharaoh had thrown them into prison as well. And Joseph gets to know them. And as a result of getting to know them, they come to him one day and said, we've both had dreams and we don't know what it means. Oh, interesting. God has gifted Joseph with this incredible ability to both have and interpret prophetic dreams. The first time, he did not do so well. But this time, he says, I don't know that I can do this. I know that I can't, actually. But my God is the God of dreams. Tell me your dreams. And so they do. And to the chief cupbearer, he's got great news. Don't worry. You're going to be reinstated. You'll be serving Pharaoh in your old position. When you see Pharaoh, remember me. The baker, perhaps encouraged by this really good interpretation, tells him his dream. And Joseph says, good news. You're going to be killed and impaled on a pole. At least he was, you know, he was, he told him what it meant. And the events happened just as Joseph declared they would. And the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's service, but unfortunately, he forgot Joseph. And we're told in the Bible that Joseph remained in prison for two more years. Two more years. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what he's going through? Think about it. Joseph was presented with these unique scenarios, challenging, hard Potiphar's house, we can confess, was probably a toxic situation, right? But Joseph doesn't become toxic. He stays pure. Prison, challenging situation. But yet he thrived in the midst of it. How? Why did he do that? How could he possibly see that through to completion? And I think it's because Joseph ultimately understood something that, frankly, the Apostle Paul understood later in his life as well. He uncovered a secret. And the secret that Joseph uncovered was being content, regardless of his circumstances. He used his gifts, he played his role, and God honored that, okay? Now, he's in the season here where still things aren't going the way that he wanted them to. Let's be honest. 
If I were Joseph in this moment, I'd be suffering from life isn't going the way I wanted itis, right? Or like when you take a little kid on that amazing trip and about halfway through they go, I'm not having the fun you promised me. (laughs) Joseph thought he'd be king. He's not having the fun that he thought. And yet he's learning this lesson of being content. So I'm in this season of passing the baton. I'm praying this prayer. I'm praying for succession. The Lord brings the story of Joseph to me, and the word that comes out of that for me in this season is content. Be content. Be content in whatever role I call you to. And so I prayed that over myself. I prayed that over the situation. I prayed that over our staff. I prayed it over the church family. Lord, may we be content in whatever you're calling us, because I don't know. But I pray that we would be content in the midst of it. And so we began to walk it out. We began to walk it out, and I prayed, Lord, continue for us to be content in roles that we perhaps didn't anticipate us being in. And I've seen that really work itself out practically in the life of Pastor Chris and also in the life of Pastor Alex. Like, let's just take Pastor Chris for just a moment. Could you imagine the Lord telling you about five years ago when your end date was going to be? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine him saying, you're going to hand off this thing that I told you to start two decades before, and I want you to do it willingly? I want you to celebrate it. I want you to hand over this thing that you have sacrificed blood, sweat, and tears more than perhaps many folks realize. Oh, and I want you to do it while you still have some gas left in the tank, right? It's not like we're dragging him out on the stretcher. (laughs) Praise God. That's not how you want to do this. And I've just seen Chris submitting himself to God's role in all of this and being content. For Pastor Alex, in 2018, I had the opportunity in October of 2018 to go with him to Vietnam, and I was really impressed by his ability even then to just hear from the Lord. We came back, and I had the opportunity to mentor him through seminary, and I got to see his gifts and talents and abilities, and I saw how the Lord was shaping him into, I didn't even know what at that moment. But it became clear over time that many of those gifts were aligning really well with what we would need in our next lead pastor. It took years for these things to develop. And I've seen him be content, not only in the developing of his gifts, but also in being patient, right? He'll share next week when the Lord first told him to consider being the lead pastor of New Life. And it wasn't like last weekend. But he was content as he walked through this role. And so it became so apparent to Chris and I that it wasn't that much later that we were sitting together in a meeting, and it so often happened, I look at him and he look at me, and we just said, it's Alex. And the Lord affirmed that in that moment through much prayer as we played our parts and walked out a role to which God had called us. Friends, are we seeking God's role for our lives? Are we all doing that in this season of passing the baton? Are we employing his gifts? Are we content in the roles to which God has called us? Joseph gives us a great example of being content in a toxic situation, a challenging situation. But God called him to those roles, and we'll see why in a minute. Are we allowing God to do that? Sometimes it's really hard. I don't want to sugarcoat that. But are we content in the midst of these seasons, relying upon God? 
I'll be honest with you, many of you know this, but uh, I served a church as a young man straight out of college, and then for a season, uh, the Lord afforded me the opportunity to work in the real world. We always say real world in quotes because how do you distinguish between the two, between working in ministry and working in the secular world? But I worked in the secular world for a season, and I loved it, loved it, was good at my job, loved it. I can actually distinctly remember early on in my tenure at my old job, driving home one day and saying, God, I'm just so happy you released me from ministry. I didn't say it was like a good thing. And then, can I do this forever? And the answer was no. And the Lord called me back to ministry, and it's not the way that I had it drawn up. It's not what I thought I would be doing. And yet, in the midst of it, the contentment and joy that you experience when your gifting pairs with God's calling, as we've walked that out, it's been great. But is it what Barry had on his 10th grade paper of what I'll do when I'm 40? No. But the Lord has been so faithful in the midst of that. And ultimately, friends, it comes down to this fact. Either he's God or he's not. And if he's God, then we walk out whatever role to which he has called us. And we get to do that day after day after day. God ultimately is the one that determines the timing. And we rely on him for contentment in the midst of every circumstance. I'm so thankful to have seen that in the lives of Pastor Chris and Alex as we walk this through in our team and so many here on, at the church as well, and even in so many of us as part of the church family. We've planned for this. We've prayed over this, and I can't wait to see what God will continue to do. So, after two years in prison, Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer goes, oh, I know a guy. I mean, I, I forgot about him for two years. Hey, hey, P, you remember when he threw me in the dungeon? I met a guy. And, uh, and he does this dream interpretation thing. You should call him. And so Genesis 41 tells us this. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. I love the details of the Bible, and I love that they were like, you got to clean up. <laughs> You're kind of a wreck. I just, sorry, it's a, it's a little aside, but it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. That is a trap. That's a trap. Compare old Joseph to new Joseph. Here's what Joseph now says. It's beyond my power to do this. Whoa. He replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. It's been argued by many scholars that God used the previous season in Joseph's life to kind of humble him. I can't argue that one way or the other. I don't know. What I can argue is he's not the same. What doesn't he do? He doesn't say, sure, I can do that. He goes, uh-uh, not even touching that one now. Last time, they took my coat Not even going there. Only God can do this. Not me. 
And does he build the bridge? Not really. If you read through the scripture, what he basically says is, hey, here's the interpretation. You have seven years of plenty, all kind of grain, followed by seven years of famine, no grain. You should probably prepare. That's it. That's all he says. What would old Joseph have done? Well, maybe I could lead the project on da 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 Doesn't get into any of it. Just steps back and goes, go with it, God. And God moves. Ultimately, he moves through Pharaoh, which is pretty incredible, right? Pharaoh said this, Joseph's suggestions were well-received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. If you do like those really nice signs, if you would just like paint that verse, I'd love to hang that in my office. (laughs) Clearly no one else is as wise and intelligent as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people who take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. Joseph is elevated, and he doesn't do anything. He steps back, and God responds through Pharaoh, and Joseph takes it and runs with it, as he's done with everything to this point. He manages it well. He uses his gifts. He's like an administrative genius. That's why I love Joseph. He puts it all together, and out of this seven years of Plenty, he gathers all the grain. And then in seven years of want, they begin to distribute it. And out of that distribution, people come from all over the world to buy grain. And ultimately, it's his brothers and his family, and they do bow down to him. But he's not king. He's not king. He doesn't get to be king. Instead, he's a servant used by God. And you can see that Joseph has been pondering this for years. Because at the end of his story, in Genesis chapter 50, his brothers are like, are you you going to kill us now? Really? And he says this to them. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. It's not about him anymore. Not even a little bit. Let's backtrack. When Joseph had that dream, the initial one, back in his homeland, do you ever think he could have even begun to imagine what that would mean? No. Not even a little bit. In some ways, being the king of a backwater clan in Palestine is so small. So small. And it would have been all about him. But instead, the Lord elevated him and put him in this position to save people. Ultimately, God's kingdom purpose continued because Joseph played the role. And friends, we get to do that over and over and over again. Here's the deal. Joseph never became king. Never. But through his actions, what happened? Many were saved. God saved them. Friends, isn't that the goal? Right? For God to save many, we play our roles for his glory, and then he ultimately does what we can't. Right? Save people from certain death. 
I am so thankful for the life and testimony of Joseph. I don't think that you need to venture too far to see how this has a direct impact and effect upon this Passing the Baton series, where we're headed as a church, what it means for our lives, our families, our workplaces. I mean, it's so clear and it's so rich. As we've walked through this season of Passing the Baton, I guarantee you this. If you would take a time machine and go back 10 years and interview Pastor Chris, Pastor Alex, and Pastor Barry, we would have told you anything but what we're doing right now. Anything but what we're doing right now. We couldn't see it. We didn't know. But the Lord in his faithfulness has worked through this season, each of us playing our own particular and unique role. For what? For his honor, for his glory, so that many will be saved. And I am so thankful that we get to do that with each and every one of you, who, as you play your role, as you use the gifts God has put upon you, we will see his kingdom here on earth as many come to know him and grow to be like him. Friends, when it comes to passing the baton, we all have a role to play. We're all God's kingdom agents. If we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's on us to work that through and to live that out. And as we do so, we'll be living out what is our next step for today. I will play my role so God will save many this week. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus with the world, one person at a time. And I can't wait to see what God will do in the days and weeks to come as we as his church and as his family live that out. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, man, it's a great decision. It's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, and many here would attest to the same. For as we come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God Most High. And Jesus begins to rule and reign in our lives. He changes us and transforms us into his very image. We say often here at New Life, it's simple. It's not easy. It's as simple as A, B, C, which means we admit that we need Jesus in our lives. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God, and as such has the right to be our Savior and Lord. And we confess. We confess our need for Jesus. We confess our need for him as Savior and Lord. We confess our sins to him, and we commit to living it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you haven't yet taken that next step, here in a moment I'm going to pray, and I'd invite you to take that step. Because ultimately, Jesus has paved the way. That's the simple part. That's the easy part. Uh, but what the challenge is, is as every day we dedicate more of who we are to him, that he can rule and reign in our lives, both as our Savior and also as our Lord. But it's good as we get to serve the God who created us, and he shapes and molds us into who we were always intended to be. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray right now for any here who do not yet know you. I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, Father God, you would rule and reign in this place. Lord, that you would speak to hearts and minister to spirits. Lord, I pray that as we ponder who you are, 
Lord, for any who don't yet know you, that they would respond simply saying, Lord, I admit that I need you in my life. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved by your, by your grace. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you lived the life that I could not live. You died the death that I should have died. But ultimately, you rose again and paved the way for my eternal hope and salvation. And Father God, that you have the right to be my Savior and Lord. I confess my sins to you. I confess my need to you, need for you. And I commit to living it out each and every day for you through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for those in this room who do know you. Lord, I pray that in the days and weeks to come, you would continue to reveal all of who you are to each and every one of us. Lord, that we may carry forth your name as we love and serve you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.